Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care, and with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Hi, stay tuned, listeners. More than a week has passed since Attorney General Bill Barr wrote his summary of Mueller's conclusions. The Mueller report is yet to be released, and it remains to be seen how much of it will be made public. In the meantime, President Trump has declared an unmitigated victory, and Republicans are calling for a counter-investigation into the origins of the special counsel probe. With the 2020 presidential election fast approaching, there is much to make sense of in this relentless news cycle. Insider is a subscription service from CAFE that includes a podcast co-hosted by Ann Milgram and me. Each week, we break down the news and take stock of what's happening. Today, we're making a portion of the CAFE Insider podcast available in the Stay Tuned feed. This segment is from our most recent episode. To listen to our full conversation and access all other CAFE Insider content, become a member at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. I have a couple other thoughts about how Bob Mueller has gone about preparing the report since we've had a few days to think about it. Last week we taped literally the morning after the, the summary came out. And one is, you know, it's, it w- would have been possible for Mueller and his team, and we've seen this on other occasions, and we used to do this in my office from time to time, knowing that there's going to be some material that cannot immediately be made public or about which there will be a fight. You create two versions. You create, you know, the version that you give to the court under seal, and then you create the version that, uh, that doesn't have the grand jury sensitive information, doesn't have the classified information, and you have that ready at the time you make the submission to the court. Now, right. I suppose Mueller could have done that, and it gives me some comfort that Bill Barr has said that going forward in connection with whatever redaction process that he will be consulting with the special counsel, although it appears that he didn't consult with him with respect to the four-page summary. So that's good. Any thoughts? Do you have any thoughts on why they didn't prepare in advance some version that could have been made public or made available to Congress right away? Yeah, I think this is worth digging into a little bit because the I've had that question in my mind. And the other question I've had in my mind is, why did Mueller give Barr a three-week runtime and basically tell him three weeks in advance, look, I'm coming to you. I'm not going to make a conclusion. And I think Mueller was probably trying to do the right thing, make sure he didn't surprise anybody. But, you know, I sort of have wondered in my mind, was that a mistake? Because he set up this chain of events where Barr basically decided, great, he's not making a conclusion. There's a void into which I can now step. Um, and, you know, I don't want to say Mueller got played, but I, I definitely think that Barr and Mueller have known each other for a long time. Mueller is very respectful of the institution. Barr is the attorney general. And, you know, I sort of, I question the wisdom of that sort of three-week lag time. I also do not understand this this issue, the 6E issue, the grand jury material issue. None of that would have been surprising to Mueller. And so I could have seen a version of events where Mueller actually went to Barr and basically said, look, you know, here here's what we want to do. We want to do a full version, and then we want to do a, a redacted version, or we'll give you at the same time an extra copy where we basically show you the things that we think are part of ongoing investigations or our grand jury material or are, you know, super classified and shouldn't be disclosed. What do you think? So I think it may be that Mueller's philosophy 
and approach to all of this is on sort of the biggest, highest stakes things where something's a close question, I'm not going to decide. And that's the reason why he didn't make an ultimate conclusion on the criminality on obstruction. And it may be that's why he didn't prepare a separate parallel redacted report, that those kinds of things, he's coloring in, in the lines, within the lines, and he's giving those decisions to other folks, whether it's Congress or the Attorney General, I guess. Now, on the question of, you know, what we're going to see, you know, there was a second letter uh, issued by Bill Barr making clear that there's a timeline that he says he's adhering to, so we should talk about that, where, in which he says the, you know, some version of the report will be provided by the middle of April. Seems like a long time. So among the things that Bill Barr said is, uh, we should talk about this one sentence that some people took as a positive sign. I think uh, the better reading is that it's ambiguous with respect to executive privilege, which is one basis on which you could say some information can't become public. And Barr writes in the new letter from last Friday, I think, quote, although the president would have the right to assert privilege over certain parts of the report, he has stated publicly that he intends to defer to me, Bill Barr, and accordingly, there are no plans to submit the report to the White House for a privilege review. Does that mean that privilege is not going to be asserted, or does that mean that the decisions about privilege will be made by Bill Barr? Right. And I think it is it is ambiguous. And so my first reading was, oh, they're not going to assert privilege. Right. And then, you know, I always sort <laughs> of assume the best. With these guys, <laughs> you, you gotta, always have to read everything 14 times. Completely. Yeah. And then when you read it more carefully, I think you're right. It does leave open that possibility that Barr is just going to be the one to exert executive privilege, which would be absurd because not everything the president says or does or that his senior advisors say and do is covered by executive privilege. And it really goes to this question of whether the conversations are there to provide counsel and advice. And so, you know, I I would be very skeptical of Barr exerting executive privilege without sitting in a room with the president and going through the report line by line. And remember, Barr is not supposed to be the president's lawyer. Barr is supposed to be the lawyer for the United States of America and all the people. He's appointed by the president, but the president has his own lawyers. He's got a White House counsel who represents the presidency. He's got his own personal lawyers, um, Rudy Giuliani and the whole gang. And so it, it really, that that sentence, I think, is potentially problematic. It's also a question, I think, of, you know, you and I have talked about this, but a lot of the folks were interviewed, agreed to be interviewed, did not claim privilege, but sort of said, I'm reserving privilege. Yeah, so that's been reported that they reserve privilege. And I suppose if the arrangement was agreed upon, that you could assert privilege later. I do think it's odd that Bill Barr has said, that he's not going to submit to the White House because there's no reason to do that. And you would have thought that had the White House counsel, uh, the new one, said that they want an opportunity to review, that they would have done that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, not sure why, I'm not sure why that was given up. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's also sort of at this point, you know, the president has done a victory lap. Again, we haven't seen the report, but Barr summarized it in what he now calls a non-summary summary. And so, you know, there is a little bit of the... It does strike me as very odd for the president to come out and say, nothing I said can be disclosed, right? Right. So take out, black out, you know, 350 pages of the 400 plus page report, um, but I'm innocent. And so I think kind of you can't have it both ways. And so I would expect the president here to waive privilege and to allow the American public to see it. Now, that being said, you know, again, what you would expect and what we have been seeing are not the same thing. You know, there's one sort of in the weeds legal point on this, there happens to be an opinion that still resides at the Justice Department from the Office of Legal Counsel from the summer of 2008, 
that arose in connection with, you know, the congressional investigation involving the outing of the CIA operative Valerie Plame, right. in which the Justice Department at that time took the position that when Congress asks for information uh, from the Justice Department that's sensitive, the opinion says it is not sufficient for the committee to assert that the subpoena documents may at some level relate to a legitimate oversight interest. Remember, Congress has two functions. One of the functions is oversight um, and, and take a look at the other branches of government and, and act as a check and a balance. And obviously the most obvious role for Congress is, is lawmaking authority, legislative authority. And this opinion takes the position that in connection with trying to get these kinds of documents via subpoena, it's not enough that it be an oversight interest. It has to be a legitimate lawmaking legislative interest. Now, I think, and we'll see how this plays out because the House, uh, as, as we come into the studio this morning on April 1st, we have an indication that the House is going to seek to subpoena the entire Mueller report in unredacted form. Yep. You could make a good, I mean, obviously, as a matter of oversight, the House committees uh, have an interest in getting this document. That's very clear. It's hard to dispute that. But I think they also have a legislative interest depending on what the report found and depending on what level of uh, new information we get about interference in the election and what the Russians did. There's a legislative interest in figuring out what kind of response there should be, what kind of sanctions there should be, what kinds of legislation might help to protect future elections. So I think there's a, there's a deep legislative interest, but that's just sort of an interesting legal fight to think about. I agree with that. And I expect that it will be a legal fight. And one of the things that I, I find surprising is that Obviously, the White House and the Attorney General, they're, they're not crazy about giving the report to Congress or at least not giving it over quickly. These kinds of redactions can be done fairly fast. Um, you and I talked about this last week. It should have been done within a week. They've got teams of people available to review it at every level. But Congress gets it. You know, at the end of the day, whether you like the United States Congress or you don't, whether it's you know run by people of your party or by people of the opposite party, Congress has a valid and legitimate reason to review the report. And I think where it gets interesting, particularly, is with the underlying information, particularly if it's grand jury protected material. Um, Barr sort of remains, I think, you know, he remains, I think, in the wrong place on the 6E grand jury material, which is to say that grand jury testimony by a witness, grand jury subpoenas issued to get, say, think about cell phone records or bank records. Those are treated as secret unless um, the attorney general decides that there's a, a reason to provide it to Congress and then gives notice to the court or goes to the court himself and says, look, we want to we want to waive 6E on this. We want the, we want you to basically allow us to share this publicly, which I believe a court would grant. So, you know, there's a lot of still back and forth. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, Congress gets it. And it feels to me like there's some delaying happening here and an effort to sort of um, play a little bit of a game that that is not good for the American public. I hope you've enjoyed this sample of the Cafe Insider podcast. In the full episode, Anne and I speak at great length about Mueller's report, the acrimony in Congress, and SDNY's charges against Michael Avenatti. We also discuss the deposition of Alex Jones and the dismissal of charges against actor Jesse Smollett. To listen... Become a member by going to cafe.com slash insider and get access to all insider content. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.